Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to John chapter 8. If you would like a physical copy of the Bible, all you have to do is raise your hand. We have some folks in the aisles who will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. Do me a favor. Uh, if you don't own a Bible at all, um, please write your name in that one and take it home with you as our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word if you would like. John chapter 8. I want to just read the first 11 verses and then I want to pray. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Today, I want to talk just for a few minutes on the Advent theme of love and what does love look like. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that you would just open all of our ears to hear from you, that you would give me concision of speech, clarity of thoughts, so that I can deliver your word no more, no less than what you have for your people this morning. Oh God, we love you and we thank you. We pray that your spirit We just fill this place, convicting, challenging, encouraging, changing us. This may be a Christmas service, God, but we're still here for your glory. We're still here to submit to your word. So God, posture us, help us to put ourselves in a place where we can hear, believe, and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Perhaps the most famous scripture in all of the Bible in any language in all of the world is John 3.16. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, everyone just quoted the King James version of that verse. Raise your hand if you own a King James Bible. Not as many people who quoted the verse, right? But for some reason, the King James version of that verse is what we have remembered on our hearts. It's what has become the most popular verse about who Jesus is in all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. And this Advent theme of love, those are some of the verses that came to mind for me when I began to think and pray about what the Lord would have me to say to you this morning. But I realized that sometimes these big statements of truth that God loved the whole world. Luke says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These big statements of truth sometimes 
run right past us when we feel small, don't we? You see, us believing that God loves the whole world is not the same thing as God loves me. Sometimes we believe that the good news is just good news for other people. That God loves you and your sin. God loves you and your mess, but me and my sin, me and my mess? No, I've got to do something different. And so it may be an unlikely Christmas story, but hopefully after today you read this story a little bit differently. I want to look at John chapter 8 about a woman who was caught in adultery. Because I think sometimes zooming in to what God's love looks like in practice can help us to see and believe it for ourselves. So Jesus was doing a little bit of teaching as he was often doing. And verse 6 tells us that the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who have been opposed to Jesus ever since he really came on the scene, they devised a trap for him. This was not an honest inquiry or an honest accusation. No, this was a trap to try to get Jesus to do one of two things. You see, they brought someone who had done something so bad that if true, the Mosaic law, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22, says that she must be put to death. Now, they were under Roman rule at the time, and so they were not legally allowed to kill anyone without the the Roman jurisdiction. That's why Jesus, before he was crucified, had to be taken to Pilate and Herod. They had to get permission to crucify him. And so the religious leaders were seeking to trap him by saying, do you believe that we should apply the law of Moses that says to kill her or the law of the land that says we can't? They wanted to get Jesus to say something that either the Jews would be upset to hear, as in disregard the Mosaic law, or something they could be used to arrest him by the Romans, as in let's do this thing that we are not authorized to do. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law brought a woman who had been caught in the act. And they said, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him to say something that they could use against him. And then Jesus does something really interesting. Look at it in verse 6 with me. It says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, this one verse is debate for many theologians. Everyone wants to know what Jesus wrote down. Was he writing down what was in Exodus, that their accusers needed to have two or three witnesses? Was he writing down what he he was about to pronounce, a judgment of not condemned? Here's my humble take on it. I I want us to just flip over really quickly. So put your finger in this place, because we're going to come right back, and flip over really quickly to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31. It's the second book of the Bible. So if you go to Genesis, Exodus is right next, Exodus chapter 31. Flip there and hold for just a second, because I believe that what's happening here, it doesn't really matter what Jesus is writing. It's the fact that he's writing with his finger, because they were trying to accuse Jesus of breaking the Mosaic law or of breaking the law of the land. They were trying to pit Jesus against the word of God. The Bible says that she should be put to death. What do you say, O great teacher, who claims to be from God? And twice in this passage, we're going to see that he stoops down without saying a word and begins to write with his finger. What he wrote, I don't know, but it made me and hopefully the crowd think about this. Do you remember the story of Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments? For those who are not familiar with the story, he goes up to this huge mountain and God himself delivers the law of the people of Israel. And not just the Ten Commandments, but practices for worship and for gathering and so many other things. And at the very end, 
Look what it says in Exodus 31, and I'm going to start at verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking up on that mountain again, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, listen carefully, written by the finger of God. Now, why did Moses include written by the finger of God here? Why did Jesus stoop down and write with his finger? Here's what I'm going to make a Holy Spirit inspired guess. Y'all ready? Here's what I believe Jesus is doing in this moment. He's saying, you're trying to pit me against the word when you don't know that the finger of God writing the word was me. You remember this passage of scripture. They were taught, they were people who memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's how they learned to read as children. These are people who were studied and learned and knowledgeable, and he was hoping they would get it. He was hoping that the finger of God who delivered the law to you, that was my finger. I am the word. And so he says, in a subtle way, you can't put me against the word. I am the word, and I'm about to do something again. And so the woman caught in adultery, he almost ignores her writing down in the dust. But verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, all right, I'll give you a judgment. I'll, I'll give you what you came for. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now, those of you who have read this passage before, um, it sounds uh, like a, almost a gotcha statement. Uh, Jesus is saying, let the man who here, whoever is accusing this woman of this sin, let him throw the first stone. Now, Jesus knew it was a trap because there's a couple of things happening. How many people know that you can't commit adultery by yourself? Right? So Jesus knew that this whole thing was a kangaroo court because there should have been at least one other person standing beside this woman, equally as guilty. And so he wasn't here... <clears throat> He wasn't here to judge the law. He knew it was a trap. He was here to judge their hearts. Let him who has never sinned or let him who has never committed this sin throw the first stone. And then he stooped down to write in the dust again, evoking that imagery of I know what I'm doing because I am the word. I am the law. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It says, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Why did they leave old to young? I've been young, and now I'm getting a little older. So from my humble vantage point, I'll just say this, pride. You see, getting older humbles you a little bit, doesn't it? There's some things in my teens and 20s, I said, man, I'll never do that. Right? Anybody remember all the things they said that they would never do when they had kids? Like, man, I ain't gonna never do that. I'm gonna be a better parent. I'm gonna be the, I'm, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna fix parenting forever. I'm gonna have kids and I'm just gonna kill it. Right? And then you have kids and you're like, look, man, here's the phone. Give me 20 minutes. Like, figure it out, you know? And so it takes some time. The oldest left first because they have a, an eye towards themselves to see, okay, I, I may not have it all together like I think I do. It's the young folks that think they are more righteous than they are oftentimes, even though all of us struggle with it. But here's the part that I want to draw out. Who should have thrown the first stone? If the qualification for throwing the first stone 
was being innocent of sin. Who should have thrown the first stone? You see, these big statements about love, it's easy to miss what love looks like in the trenches. It's easy to miss what love looks like day to day. And I believe this unlikely Christmas story of a woman caught in an act so bad she should have been put to death, we begin to see what love looks like. It's Christmas time and there's advertisements more than usual everywhere. Um, and there used to be like professional actors and stuff being the spokesperson for stuff. And now it's like YouTubers and people that you've never heard of, right? It's like, um, anybody, like anybody's kids watch the, the YouTube channel of kids playing with toys? Blows my mind. Like you're watching someone else play a game that you yourself have, but you're choosing to watch them do it in fascination, right? Um, and I, I say it laughingly because I find myself doing the same thing. I've watched a 45-minute clip of somebody building a deck. Like, I ain't going to ever do that, right? But it's just, just fascinating, right? <laughs> so I get it, right? I don't be too harsh on them. But the spokesperson used to be like Shaquille O'Neal selling pizza, right? Or all these other famous, well-known people being the spokespersons for different things. And now they've got YouTube stars and even children who are more well-known and TikTok stars and all these things advertising the products because tis the time of the year for capitalism and consumerism. Tis the time of year. And one of the ways advertisers get credibility for you to buy their product is by attaching themselves to somebody that you already know and like. You know, Kevin Hart says that these athletic shorts are great. I believe Kevin Hart, so I'm going to buy these shorts, right? The Rock says this, or this famous person says that, and so I believe them because of the spokesperson said so. Who would be the spokespeople for Christianity? If... Christianity was running some ads this time of year. Who would be the spokespeople for that? And as I begin to consider this passage and the truth of God's love, I realized that it would be this woman caught in adultery would be the spokesperson. It'd be the woman at the well would be the spokesperson. You see, Christianity isn't selling professionalism. It isn't selling just another tool. It's selling love. And who is in more in need of love than those that feel unlovable? You see, she was guilty, y'all. This was an unfair trial, but it was an untruthful statement. She probably did do the things that they accused her of doing. And she really did deserve a penalty according to the Mosaic law. And so Jesus wasn't saying that you're lying. He says, I don't condemn you. The very finger of God. Look what it says. Where are your accusers? Verse 10. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. You see, the spokespeople for Christianity, the people that are advertising to the world that a Messiah is here, aren't people who got it all together. It's people who need what Christianity is selling, and that's love, hope, peace, and joy in Jesus. That's the product That's what's on offer. And so the best spokespeople are the people who need love, people who need hope, people who need peace and joy in their lives because the world is trying to take it every second of the day. And so this woman, sinner as she was, in this story, we find the true meaning of what love looks like. He says, I don't condemn you. That's 
what Jesus did for us on the cross. He didn't say you're innocent. He didn't say you didn't do what they said you did. He said, I don't condemn you for what you really have done. You see, the world says to hide who you are and hide what you've done if you want to be loved and accepted by others. Jesus says, I already know, and I still love you. I still came for you. I still left the glories of heaven and the triune presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and came for you. You see, God loves the whole world is different than saying God loves me. And God loves me is different than saying God loves me despite me. God loves me not because of me. He loves me because of him. Here's what I want you to walk away from today, family. If Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, why would you think that he would condemn you? If Jesus doesn't hold this woman's sins against her, why would you think he would hold your sins against you? You see, this Advent theme of love is more than the Hallmark version or the platitude version. No, it's the in the dirt version. That when you feel unlovable, when you are at your lowest, Jesus is still saying, where are your accusers? They don't condemn you neither, do I. Not only does Jesus forgive us of our sins, but look what he says. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Love is in abundance usually this time of year, either the feeling of lost loved ones or the feelings of closer loved ones, family who have departed from this world or family who's come back into town. And so love seems to be in abundance. And so we can misunderstand when God says things versus when other people say things. When my mom says, I love you, it's different than when God says he loves me. You see, when God says he loves you. Not only does he forgive you of your sins, neither do I. He also frees you from the power of sin. Go and sin no more. Y'all, this is what Romans 8 begins to champion, that we are no longer debtors to the flesh. When he's telling this woman to go and sin no more, he's not telling her, be better. He's telling her, you're free. Go and sin no more means you are not bound to sin any longer because the word of God has spoken. God's love doesn't just make us feel better. It actually makes us different. Not only does his love forgive us of our sins, but I promise you, if you allow its love to go all the way down into the roots, it'll also free you from your sin. Forgiveness and freedom is what God's love looks like in practice. Forgiveness without fear of condemnation and freedom, the power to overcome. That's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate. Jesus coming on this earth to do was to free us and to forgive us. And not just once, not just when you walk down the aisle and said the prayer but every single day of your life, a rhythm of being forgiven and being freed, being forgiven and being freed, being forgiven and being freed. That's why we sing about it, y'all. 
Because ain't that good news? Ain't that good news, family? Have you experienced God's love in your life, forgiving you of your sin and freeing you from the condemnation and power thereof? If you have, you have something to be joyous about today. If you have experienced God's love, then you know what peace feels like. Peace is not being at war with God. If you have received God's love, then you know what joy looks like. It means no matter what happens, there is an incorruptible reward waiting for you on the other side of life. If you have experienced God's love, you know what hope feels like. Because even when you feel stuck, even when you feel low, even when you feel unlovable, you know that that's not true. It may be real in that moment, but you know it's not true. Because what God says is, I will not condemn you, and I will free you from your sins. That's what love looks like, family. That's why we celebrate. That's why we gather. That's why we sing. If you do not know that love, if you have not experienced that love, maybe you've experienced religion, maybe you've experienced rules, maybe you've experienced church, but if you have never experienced the love of God, we are going to have some time of prayer in just a moment, and I would invite you to consider what this man Jesus could do in your life if you would let him forgive you of your sins and free you from the condemnation, the shame, and the power. Let's pray. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com slash giving.